Hey family, we just got finished up with the South Florida Young Adults Conference and we're super blessed in this question and answer session. We have both Pastor Don and his lovely wife Jean here. Well, I'm also blessed to have my uh, sweet wife Amanda here as well. So we're going to just try to get through some of these questions, some of the lady questions also for Jean. So Don, one question for you and Jean, you feel free to chime in here as well, Amanda as well. Is there scripture that backs up the claim that love cannot be forced? None that clearly comes to my mind. But I think the whole world knows that anyway. You know, I mean, you just even look at any world. As soon as somebody comes along, you know, and uh, takes a club, beats a woman over the head, drags her by the hair home, and says, you will love me, uh, it doesn't work. You know, and, uh, it, it, and everybody, I think, in the world knows that as soon as you try to force, because love is freely given. Love is freely received. Love is a choice. And, uh, it's, uh, and it's something that you can't, you can't force it. When I, so I, I would, uh, and we were talking earlier, the stories, you know, they sometimes God is so patient with us. He's long-suffering. Uh, in his love, he gives mercy and grace and kindness and gentleness. But he, at the same time, just like the pro- the prodigal son, the father, all he could do, he knew his son had gone off to town, knew that he's, you know, living in riotous living. You know, one of the things I think was fortunate back then is they didn't have cell phones and, and social media where somebody, oh, I just watched your son walk into a bar. Oh, he just went in a brothel. Oh, and must pray for him. No, he just knew my son's away from God. My, my son's away, and I've just had to just, you know, wait for him that one day his son came home and he looked at him and out of his own heart, I, you know, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy even to be called your son may I be as a servant. And then the father, you know, he embraces him. My son was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and he's now found. You know, kill the fatted calf, put the ring in his finger, you know, and give him back his entire role. Because now the son, who had been a son but had not chosen the father by love uh, before, and now the father, you know, was so excited. And sadly, this the, the older son who thought it maybe been for well i've been faithful i've been good i've never done anything wrong but he, the father well it was always yours too you know but you never saw it the same way that sometimes until love has had its full work so but i i'm trying to have right race through my mind is thinking of something you know of you know god's love or just love in general of, of forcing it but yeah, one scripture that came to mind, Jesus describing himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, how he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And how scripture describes God in First John 4, 7, that we should love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And we have these adjectives that are attributed to God, the attributes of God, and we see he's humble, he's lowly, he's gentle, and that's not really something you would attribute to someone who's forcing themselves upon someone else. Mm -hmm. And true love, there's a gentleness and there's an openness that says, hey, if you want to reject me, I'm still going to love you. I mean, if God wanted honor or respect or obedience, 
a lot of other things. He could pick us up and flick us to China uh, just like that. You know, all of a sudden we'd, okay, what do you want? What do you want? You win. Mm-hmm. I'm in. You know, and, uh, and he could get, you know, but, but he wouldn't get what he wants. He wants love. He wants there where it's, that, that, that somebody chose. And so, that, so he, uh, he will not short circuit that. He won't, you know, uh, force that and, uh, at all, which he could accomplish a lot of other goals. But, but what he wants, as a man is in his heart, so is he has, uh, you know, that the, he wants somebody where the heart pants after him, longs for him. Uh, but he'll wait for that. Amanda, you had a question for Jean from the girl session. What would you say to the young girl? You know, everything for today is so glamorous. They think, you know, working is... It's okay. Since you're talking about Working is glamorous, or even sometimes, you know, having your home and furnishing it and all this stuff is so glamorous. But for the girl that's doing her best to follow Jesus and is just disillusioned with her life, it's very mundane, very everyday, and she thinks... There's something out there in the world for her. You know what would you what would you encourage her with? I would I would encourage her to get into the Word and and fall in love with Jesus. Listen to good messages and and see that side that's spiritual over the side that's the flesh. Because like that verse I shared, love not the world, neither the things of the world. And we will be disillusioned with the world because Satan always says, well, it's not enough. You can get a car and then you got to get a better one. You can get a purse, but you got to get a more expensive one. You know, it's always more. You t- you get alcohol, well, you got to have more. Or drugs, you got to have more. Mm-hmm. And that's always a trick. You know, surely, Eve, you will not die. You will be like God. So she wanted more. Hmm. And it can destroy you. What do you think? I agree. You know, I think that um, a, a life of... of um, of giving a life of following Jesus. It's not always glamorous. There is every day to it. There mm-hmm. is hard work to it. There is a narrow path. But, you know, I, I haven't been walking it as long as you have, but I can say this is the best life possible. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many that have wasted these early years chasing the glamour, chasing mm-hmm. the party, chasing, you know, even the perfect family. Mm-hmm. And they are so empty afterwards. And they begin to resent those things, right? They begin to resent their children. They resent they their job. Mm-hmm. They resent their family, even if it's a good family. And um, it becomes empty. Yeah. But when you follow the Lord and you seek after him, and it doesn't mean you can't have nice things or enjoy life or have friends yeah. and all that. But if you're constantly seeking to satisfy yourself, you end up empty. But if you serve others and you love them and you really pour into your family and your children and friends and other people, and it's not always about you, I guess I am old enough that the rewards are unbelievable Mm. and they're precious. You know, like so many people we've been in ministry with through the years, um, just looking back, I'm so thankful for every one of them. And you know, when you go through things, they're there, they're on the phone, Mm -hmm. they call. And and it comes back. And the same with the children. When you give them Jesus, you'll have them when you're old. And they'll be there for you. And so all of those things, there's great rewards. Yeah, that just brings me hope as a as a young mom because that is that's mm-hmm. one of the fears, right? Is that you're gonna mess up the kid or uh, they're gonna walk away from the Lord? What can I do to control this? But just being faithful 
giving of yourself, right? Being able to lay your head on a pillow exhausted because you've been spent for mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then trust that that he's got them yeah. in his hands. You pray for him, give them to the Lord, read him Bible stories. Yeah. All of those things you're feeding him. I always think I want to give them things they'll take with them forever, you know. Pastor Don, uh, one of the questions we received was on the topic of time management, and it goes as follows. As a pastor, what do you see is the biggest time killer or distraction within this younger generation? And what advice would you give them for this worst distraction out there? Well, I think that there's the biggest time, I don't know, the, the time distraction, I think is basically the fundamental distraction of their lives uh, where somehow or another, you know, it's the, we, the me generation, all about ourselves, uh, there that is a complete destruction of identity uh, at all. Anything that takes me away from finding my identity in Christ is a distraction, something that takes me away from my created design. Why did God make me? And I was made by God, for God, to be with God, to be led by God, filled with God, uh, enamored with Him, to want, you know, His his life, there's no, you know, nothing compares to him. And, uh, you know, when we just decide that my time, you know, is my time, this is me time, people talk about, you know, or something. And, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think so many people that are able to live their life, that they've actually had the successes in their life that are the material gains or whatever that just allows them to run their own calendar. And that, you know, I, I want to go travel, I'll travel. I want to go, you know, vacation here. I want to do that. I want to go out and dine here. I want these outfits. I, and so they fill their lives with all of these pursuits, all of these things to fill themselves, entertain themselves, uh, enjoy their life. And all they're doing is wasting one day, every day of their life. It's absolute waste. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It means nothing. And though they maybe aren't off in any sin or rebellion or carnal or wicked life, corrupt life, they're not out partying and drinking and smoking and doing cocaine and hard stuff or being, you know, nasty or being unfaithful in their marriages or, uh, you know, angry, hostile, bitter. You know, I mean, they're, they're just very nice people. There will be, you know, millions and millions of very nice people stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will say, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. I mean, to think of all of the people, when Jesus talks about many will come before me in that day, you know, and, and actually stand before God. I mean, Jesus is saying this and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Uh, you know, and, and what they did, you know, hey, I gave, I cast out demons. I mean, here's somebody talking about spiritual life. I did this, I did this, you know, and did this. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers. I never knew you. Mm-hmm. The Christian life was knowledge. It was sharing his life. And they never shared his life. They actually gave. They worked. They did things in his name. And, uh, you know, they, they actually were involved in ministry. They were involved in church. They, were involved, they maybe took mission trips, you know, gave out food to the poor, did all sorts of very notable things. And, boy, they'd have a lot of people at their funeral saying, boy, they were wonderful. And yet, Jesus, I never, I never knew you. We never knew one another. You, your whole life, you know, was was never sharing my life. You never came to me, and uh, and how sad, you know. And I think our country is filled, and not to, I mean, I, 
You know, so many churches that were once on fire. The the Presbyterian Church was once one of the greatest churches in the history of America. The Episcopal Church. My great-great-grandfather was Episcopalian pastor. We had a, I can't find it. I want to find it. My brother had it, a handwritten sermon of his that was like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, literally. You are standing before God. The, you know, the fires of hell are kindling underneath you if you do not give your life to Christ. I mean, he was a, the, the Episcopal Church was once on for all these churches that exploded. The, the Methodist Church, the Lutheran Church, they were once shaping the world. They were they were making a, a tremendous impact in the world. So often, like you know, Jean's grandmother, she was a faithful Lutheran all her life, and, and but she didn't know the Lord. And Jean's dad finally, literally, after she kept, "I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine," said he told his mother, "You're going to hell." And she said, "Oh, Phil, how can you talk to your mother that way?" Before finally, she the Lord. She thought she was absolutely fine. And you just wonder how many hundreds of millions of people would stand before God in that same place. And it's, and it's one of the most tragic things because these churches, when they die spiritually, they, the word of God is no longer preached in it. The, the, the need to be born again and of personal salvation is no longer communi- communicated effectively in them. You know, at one point, you know, the early church that as it evolved into the Catholic Church, it was once before it really took that and they raised up and began to start to say that we have a pope. And I mean, they were they were shaking the world. What ultimately moved in the direction of now it became institutionalized and all of these other things. But you look and and. Nobody is going to go to heaven because they're a good Catholic or a good Presbyterian or they're a good Lutheran or they're a good Methodist or a good Episcopalian. They're going to heaven because, like the sinner that smote himself on his breast, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, I tell you, that man's prayer was heard. And many have never had that brokenness. They've never cried out. You know, and I wonder how many might be listening to this or going down, they're they're good Lutheran. They're good, you know, you might good Baptist, a good anything. You know, I've, I've given to the Baptist church. I've been in the Sunday school. I've gone on missions. I've done all. I Haven't I done these things in your name? Mm-hmm. I did it in the name. It was a Christian activity. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, dude, now am I somebody that I know Jesus Christ? And that was the thing in my family. We grew up in a very liberal church. It was a Methodist, but only I never knew the gospel. I never knew Jesus. I was in Easter plays. I was in Christmas plays as a little kid. I was a sheep or a you know shepherd or whatever it was. And so when when people when my family started getting saved and they started telling me, Don, you've got to get you've got to be born again. What are you talking about? I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I am a Christian. Why would you insult me like that, you know, or something? We're all Christians here. And I absolutely, I mean, I, I didn't know anybody that wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. Though after I became a Christian, I realized none of my friends mm-hmm. were Christians, although they would have perhaps thought they were. And a tremendous amount of America, I think, is just like that. Tremendous, the rest of the world, you know, you look at millions, Jesus, you know, many are called, few are chosen. You know, you know dist- wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat. Narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Few there be that go in thereat, Jesus said. There's all sorts of people thinking they're fine. 
you know, if I died right now, I, I you know, I, I've lived a good life. I've been a good person. I've given to the poor. I've given to the church. I helped build stuff. Hmm. I wanted to say one thing about my grandmother. My dad didn't give up on her. Hmm. And he would tell her how to get saved, that she had to ask Jesus Christ into her heart and accept him as her savior. And she would say, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know. And one day at 70 years old, she was spending the night at my parents. They lived in Minnesota, and she came down into the kitchen in the morning, and she said, now I know what you're talking about. She had gone to bed that night, and she decided to pray and ask Jesus into her life. And I said, Mom, how did you know she was saved? She said, oh, she was so nice after that. <laughs> and they could tell her life had just changed, you know, that she really found the Lord. So it doesn't matter how old or young you are. You can accept Jesus. Yeah. It's a waste of time trying to get heaven when Jesus is the only one that's already purchased it. Mm -hmm. Amen. repent and be saved. How about you, Gene? I know that your breakout session was also on time management. Is there mm -hmm. something that you're seeing within this generation that is just a huge time waster for the ladies? I do. And I think um, as a Christian young lady, I think it's important to watch the things that you do and consume your time. You think about it. How much time do you spend on the Internet? How much time is social media taking up your life? Because I know, like in the morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read the Word. But if I get on that phone and I start looking at the news and social media, Facebook, all those things, I mean, I, 45 minutes can go by in no time, and I've lost a bunch of important time with the Lord. So I think that the television, the social media, we have to be so careful because I think Satan wants to steal our time. And so I think that's a huge, huge thing I see everywhere. You know, just to be wise, read good books and, you know, talk to people and witness to people and share the Lord with people. And Yeah, recently we studied the parable of the sower and the seed, and I had never heard before the weeds that grow up and choke out the word as the ground was just too fertile. There was mm -hmm. just a love of too many things within that heart. Good. And all those other loves grew up and choked out what should be our main love. So got to be so careful. A lot of these innocent things can quickly become the main thing and choke out that, that one thing that's eternal. Uh, closing up here, Don, what is one foundational biblical truth that's often overlooked in our generation? Wow, where do you get these questions? <laughs> One foundational truth that's overlooked in our gener in our generation. Well, one of the things that I, I mean, I, my mind's just kind of going off and who knows where, but I, one of the things, I think there is such a lackadaisical approach to Christian life, living. There is almost this way sometimes with evangelism today and not, and, and with the way the gospel is presented, it's almost like God is some sort of a big uh, corporate uh, president running this massive business called Christianity who is begging for people to join him. You know, and you're, you're doing God a favor by responding to his request, you know, or something. And, that, uh, and like God is begging us you know, or something, and, you know, and, and that he's just some big mass producer of how many souls he can gather, you know, and, and to me, that is not the gospel. The issue is, is that the people that should be begging are the, you know, that you look at the Bible, those that, again, like, you know, the, the, 
Jesus loved you know, the, the sinners and wine bibbers, as they were called. Those that are sick have no need of a physician, Jesus said. And because they wonder, why are you doing this? And he says, because they know they have a need. And they were responding and they were you know, in, coming in, in great numbers. It was incredible, their hunger that they were. But he also had no problem looking there, you generation of vipers, you know, and looking there. What do you, you know, and even those that came after him for the bread, why do you come after me, you know, as this? You come for the bread. You don't come to want to surrender your life to God, uh, you know, with that. And he, while he would show his love and, and this compassion there on anybody, everybody, the woman there, you know, uh, caught in the act of adultery, the opportunity to stop and minister to her, the woman with the issue of blood. You see so many records there, one-on-one -on -one of his unbelievable love there that he had, but when it came to a broken heart and a broken soul, that longed, you know, to hear this woman who spent all of her money, everything she had to try to get well, or this woman that had had five husbands and the one she now didn't have wasn't her husband either. Uh, or the woman that was caught in an actor adult and they bring her down and they said, you know, Moses said we should stone her. What do you say? And then he dealt with them to get rid of the accusers. Woman, where are thine accusers? He had this unbelievable one-on-one -on -one love for the lost soul, but somebody that would long for him, somebody there that would be transformed. You know, the, the one that had cast seven demons out becomes one of his most faithful servants and followers and you looked at you know all of basically his disciples as you know that there they gave up their lives they went you know i mean here they it was they were being persecuted when they gave their life to him it it was almost a death sentence in the early church the persecution was so great for christian forget getting an education you're ruled out forget you know being able to have a good job you're going you know if you're in rome they will take you, they'll throw you to their lions, they will persecute you, you are despised, you're rejected. And, uh, uh, you know, for your faith. And the cost was great uh, there. In, but now, you know, we've, we've so lowered the it, price of admission, <laughs> uh, you know, to the Christian life. You know, just, if, just come tripping into heaven and God will be so happy to see you and bring, you know, your unchanged behavior. And almost like the early church at times where Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid perish the thought. How shall we that are dead to son live any longer therein? He said, why? You came to Christ and asked God to forgive your sins and to, uh, and you should have, you, you were baptized. You don't, what, no, you're not. As many of us as were baptized unto Christ were baptized to his death. You gave up your life, you know, supposedly, to follow him, and now you're not doing it. Uh, and, and so they, uh, you know, even in Corinthians, when Paul is dealing with them, and here they're, they're you know, guys coming there in an immoral relationship, and he said, throw him out. You know, he think, he's just think he's just fine, you know, and stuff, and you're letting him come. He has no sense of conviction uh, there at all. And you need to set conviction that this life that, that he's living is wrong. It is sinful. It's unacceptable. You know, and uh, uh, and he says, deliver such a one under Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You know, whatever has to happen to some people's life for their flesh to be destroyed. And so something, this was the early church was one that uh, they sure knew the love of God, the presence of God, the power of his spirit. 
but they also knew right, you know, message of righteousness mm-hmm. and of godliness. And I think sometimes we we don't talk about sin anymore. We don't want to talk. We, you know, we every people feel uncomfortable. They don't come to church. I already feel bad enough, like some of your Andy Stanleys and others. They feel bad. They don't need to come to church and feel bad, mm-hmm. you know. And so. Now all the things that were once bad, you know, where homosexuality is not really bad you know, any longer. Just practice whatever sexual experience you want in life. And you read these things where, you know, uh, Jesus, the homosexuality is fine in the Bible. You hear these arguments that people are doing. Literally, the tra- I, I saw a thing that uh, the other day in the news. that somebody saying the transsexual uh, desire, you know, and... and is fine. There's no problem with God's love in this. And you look at this and think, are you serious? And realize they seem to be. How, what has happened that somebody who, were they always this way or are they just kind of, what do I have to do to get people in my church? How about you, Miss Jean? Is there one foundational truth that you see is overlooked in our generation? Well, I think that something that's really clear is without repentance, there's no remission. And if you think I can be a Christian, but I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, I don't have to, you know, it's a little white lie, that's not a problem. Or, you know, um, I just kind of an affair in my mind on my husband and, and all that kind of thinking goes directly against what God tells us our behavior should be. And I think that gets you in trouble. And when you go to Revelation, in the last chapter, it says, this group of people will not enter the city, those that are drunkards and adulterers and those that love and practice a lie. Mm-hmm. And you think, is that really? That's not murder. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you have to know God's word to know how you're to live because that's what he wants from us. And, it, and we need repentance oftentimes to get there. And with that comes... Hope and salvation and life and eternity. Amen. Yeah, it's so it's so freeing when we could be honest and real with the Lord. Hey, I, I'm a sinner and I need some help here. Mm-hmm. It, it's so freeing instead of trying to do it in your own strength. And that's just what Don really closed with in his session. For us to stop trying to do it in our own strength. God sees the reality of things. God sees the reality of where we're at. Just humble yourself, repent, come to him. He has all the strength and all the power that you need. Uh, but thank you guys so much for taking this time, spending this time with us. So thank appreciate you, you guys. Mm-hmm. God bless you.